What's going on, everybody? This is Grayson Singleton, and you're listening to the Gray Area Podcast. It is that time where we have only four teams remaining in the NBA playoffs, so we're going to talk about the Mavericks versus the Warriors and the Eastern Conference Finals of the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics as they get underway tonight. Yeah, as in like 10 hours after I recorded this podcast. Anyway, this is the Gray Area. Thanks for joining us. Let's talk about them. So in a little under, I guess, nine hours, I record the intro separate from when I record the rest of the podcast, but in a, a little under nine hours, the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics will tip off from Miami as in a rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals from the bubble. I was just remade aware of that today. I forgot that that's who Miami played in the ECF back in the Orlando bubble. Also, Boston will make its third Eastern Conference Finals appearance in this iteration of the Celtics. You remember they made the Eastern Conference Finals in Jason Tatum's rookie year when they lost to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Or it might have been a second second year. I've, I've, I've double-checked that one. But for now three seasons of this new iteration of the Boston Celtics, they're going to be in the conference finals, the Mavericks and Luka Doncic, after failing to get out of the first round the last two years, have made it all the way to the conference finals as well, and they will take on the resurgent Golden State Warriors, who, because of injury, missed the playoffs the last two years, but they're back, and what do you know, they're back in the conference finals on the verge of yet another NBA Finals appearance in the Steve Kerr era. All right, let me start with this. We're going to start with the West, and... Because I am based out here in Dallas, I'm recording this from my home in Wiley, Texas, and if you don't know where that is, Google it, because 98% of people do not know where that is, and I don't feel like giving you the geographical location. Um, and because I'm in Dallas, uh, we have to cover the Mavericks, and let's just talk about the Dallas Mavericks for just a second, because there's a lot of very encouraging things if you're a Mavericks fan going up to going against the series going into the series against the Golden State Warriors and there's also a lot of concerning things even though the Mavericks just blitzed the defending Western Conference champion Phoenix Suns 123 to 90 in game seven on Sunday but the Mavericks might have been the trickiest team in the playoffs for two reasons. They rely on a superstar who, based on his style of play, has historically melted down this deep into the playoffs. And I'll give you my comparison for Luka Doncic in a second. So you've got that going for him. You also have the fact that you constantly have at least one player who is a liability on defense on the court at all times. It's either Luka or Spencer Dinwiddie. Neither are particularly great on defense, and really neither is Dwight Powell either, even though I think he exceeded his defensive output from the season. I think he exceeded that in the conference semifinals against Phoenix. And then number three, you have a very shaky cast of role players, if you're the Dallas Mavericks. I'm going to start with the first one. I'm going to start with Luka Doncic, and why this so 
it was so weird that the Mavericks end up here. Now, in their at their best upside, playing at their peak performance, the Dallas Mavericks can win an NBA title. I don't think there's any of us that question that. You've got a legitimate scorer who can drop 30 in his sleep. You have this cast of long, lengthy wings that are incredible defenders that can hit timely shots, and we're going to circle back to that as well. And then you've got an elite score off the bench at times in Spencer Didwitty, as well as Luka Doncic's running mate in the backcourt with Jalen Brunson. But let's, talk, but let's talk about number one, Luka Doncic. Why I'm so surprised this level of absolute absurdity has lasted this deep into the playoffs. So the Mavericks are 13 games into their championship run right now. They, they've finished off Utah in six games, finished off Phoenix in seven. The best comparison I have ever heard about Luka Doncic is James Harden. And let me explain. Number one is their absurd ball dominance. You cannot say the word or utter the stat usage rate without James Harden and Luka Doncic at the top of it. This is pre-Philadelphia James Harden, by the way. Pre-Brooklyn James Harden. We're talking about when James Harden was with the Rockets, when they were going to the conference finals or the conference semifinals every year. James Harden... And Luka Doncic's styles are so eerily similar. And this is why you have to have a certain type of person around them. Stand with the ball at the top of the key, dribble, dribble, run a pick and roll, which they both execute to perfection. James Harden did it with Capella. Um, Doncic does it with Powell, which I think Powell is basically the poor man's Clint Capella. They both rely on a step-back three, even though Luka can do it from such a bananas range. I don't get how you make a step-back three from the logo. And they both create a lot of contact. Let me say that again. They both create a ton of contact. This is different from how Giannis and how LeBron play. Because Giannis and LeBron take a lot of contact. They don't create it. LeBron and Giannis don't go into the paint, diving into defenders, seeking contact. And depending on how you were brought up, depending on how you were coached, which also has to do with your size as well, um, you are taught to sometimes go into defenders. Um, when I was playing... I, when I graduated high school, I was six one and a half. So, in high, playing high school basketball in Texas, you're a little undersized. It's a decent size for a point guard position I played, but when I would go into the trees and have to finish, you were taught to dive into them, just you know, so they can, so the defender can't elevate to reject the shot. Though, but Luca and James Harden take that to an entirely different level of contact creation. And the reason I bring this up now is because this style usually wears down in the playoffs. Again, James Harden. How many times do we belabor the point of how small James Harden comes up in the postseason? All the time. 
that's that's just part of when you talk about James Harden. You talk about when the Houston Rockets missed 21 consecutive threes to blow game six against the Golden State Warriors. James Harden, in the light that we're talking about him now, taking two shots in the final 23 minutes of game six against the Miami Heat. So I wonder if Luka Doncic is going to wear down against the Golden State Warriors. Um, and we'll get to the Warriors side of this in a second, but let me go back to the Mavericks. Um, so, you, so, you've got, so you've got this weird thing with Luka, which he's on an absolute tear, playing on a, an entirely different stratosphere right now. Still a liability on defense, but Jason Kidd, and enough cannot be said about the job Jason Kidd has done this season with the Mavericks. Jason Kidd has coached and schemed all the way around that. The Mavericks' big concern, and it still remains a concern today, is those role players. And we know that role players play better at home with the crowd behind them than they do on the road. We saw that in the Boston-Milwaukee series. Boston's role players played immensely better on their home floor at TD Garden Center than they played at Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee. Grant Williams went bananas. Peyton Pritchard went bananas in the fourth quarter in Game 7 on Sunday. At home. The Mavericks blitzed the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix, mind you, in Phoenix, on Sunday night. But Luka Doncic, Jalen Brunson, and Spencer Dinwiddie combined for 89 of the Mavericks' 123 points. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's that's an acceptable number, but in 30 minutes, Dorian Finney-Smith, 1 of 4. In 32 minutes, Reggie Bullock, 1 of 4. Maxi Kleber took one shot and made it. Frank Nielakina in 13 minutes, 1 of 4. To, to me, Davis Burton's also in 14 minutes, 0 of 3. So to me, the Mavericks still haven't solved this issue of their role players not showing up on the road. And I think if Phoenix's role players had shown up on the road, because theirs didn't either. First of all, Phoenix's problem was Chris Paul also didn't show up. If the Mavericks don't solve this role player issue, they will get blitzed by the Golden State Warriors. So that's the second thing that's sort of this encouragement, but also a concern. Spencer Didwitty was brilliant. Shot 11-15 from the field, 5-7 from three in Game 7, after being in an absolute slump the last few games. But if Spencer Dinwiddie regresses to the mean of what he is, that's a much tighter game. Because the key to the Mavericks winning that game and really blowing the doors off of Phoenix in that second quarter was that they won the non-Luka minutes. That was the key to that game. That was when, after Phoenix cut it to, I believe, 29-22, with around eight minutes to go, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier in the game than that, in the second quarter. And the Mavericks proceeded to go on that 33-5 run to really 
slam the door shut on Phoenix advancing. That's when that happened. When Luka was on the bench and Spencer Dinwiddie was playing out of his mind. So if he regresses to the mean, and then Finney Smith and Bullock should have combined two for eight, and then you don't get anything from Bertans, you get minimal shooting from Maxi Kleba, do the Mavericks get blitzed on the road? And we're going to find out very quick because on Wednesday night, they will open the Western Conference Finals at Chase Center in San Francisco. So just some food for thought there on the Mavericks side. And number three, and I don't think this will be much of a factor in the Western Conference Finals, but the Mavericks' lack of a front court is a little bit concerning. Yeah, Dwight Powell was three for three, caught, caught some lobs, um, but he's he's not a good rebounder. Kleba's more of a guy that you put on the perimeter, even though Kleba played a nice defensive game against Phoenix in Game 7. But their front court just isn't that imposing. Now, on the flip side, neither is Golden State. Even though Looney came to play in the closeout game against Memphis, where he grabbed, I think it was 21 rebounds. But Looney's not going to scare you to a point where you have to game plan of how are we going to stop Kavon Looney. So I don't think that's going to be much of an impact. I could be wrong. I was wrong about a lot of things with the Dallas Mavericks, particularly in this series against Phoenix. So maybe I'm wrong again, and it goes negatively against the Mavericks, against Golden State. But I don't think the bigs will be that much of a factor. I think it's going to be a perimeter game and a game played outside it. Now let's talk about Dallas's opponent, the, the Golden State Warriors, who are a totally different version of of the team that we saw go to, what was it? Five straight NBA Finals? Four? They won the they won the uh, the two with KD, lost to Toronto, and then had the two before them. So five straight NBA Finals. This Warriors team, to me, is an interesting matchup for Dallas. Especially, especially, and I was thinking about this last night. Especially if Andre Iguodala is back. And here's why I mean that. I, t- I thought the Suns had a lot of guys that were fleet of foot enough, as well as possessed enough girth, to keep Luka Doncic from going supernova on them. That obviously was not the case. Uh, Cameron Payne is a lot weaker than I thought he was. Not Cameron Payne, Cameron Johnson, excuse me, was a lot weaker than I thought he was. By the way, every time the Suns... We're in the unfortunate predicament of having Chris Paul or campaign switched on to Luka Doncic. I was like, what in the world are y'all doing? And let me just go back to the match for just a second. Um, when I was doing the Gray Area TV show up at, up at Oklahoma State, Landon and I had our Coach of the Year picks. His was Monty Williams. Mine was Jason Kidd. And... The way Jason Kidd outcoached Monty Williams over the course of this entire Western Conference semifinal series, <laughs> I mean, he just—I mean, if you if you if you gave points for coaching quality, Jason Kidd blitzed Monty Williams, just absolutely wiped the floor with Monty Williams. Jason Kidd figured out a way to hide his defensive liability to where it, it literally did not become a problem past game like two. And Monty Williams couldn't figure out a way to keep people from not switching Luka onto, you know, Chris Paul, Cameron Payne, Cameron Johnson. But the Golden State Warriors, I think they're, they have an assortment of guys that they could throw onto Luka to make him 
uncomfortable. And I was watching ESPN yesterday, and Patrick Beverly threw out Draymond Green. I wouldn't put Draymond Green initially on Steph- on Luka. I would start with Wiggins and see where that goes, because Wiggins is an incredibly improved defender. I don't think people give him enough credit for that. I think part of why Golden State has been so good this year is because of Wiggins' improvement on the defensive side of the ball. It would be who of us to really acknowledge that. So you start with Wiggins. Clay Thompson will see him a little bit. Um, Draymond, obviously, will see him again. If Andre Iguodala is healthy, Andre Iguodala has a reputation of making stars uncomfortable in the postseason. He won an NBA Finals by holding LeBron to 33 points a game, but he won the Finals MVP because he made LeBron uncomfortable. And I think that's what you have to do with Luka, is make him uncomfortable. I think that's how you get him out of his game. Because of, because of his ball usage, because of the way the Golden State Warriors play, with all the movement that they do and all the screens that they set, unless you're going to give up a bunch of points, if you're willing to concede an absurd amount of points with Luka as the primary defender because you're trying to rest him because of his usage on offense, I wonder if Luka's going to tire. And you have so many bodies you can throw at him. Wiggins, Thompson, Draymond. If Iguodala is healthy, him. Gary Payton hadn't been ruled out for the entire Western Conference Finals. Probably throw him out there as well. Otto Porter, if he comes back from the foot sprain. Um, I think Dallas will try to hunt Steph Curry. And I think and I think Golden State saw what Dallas did to Phoenix. That they're going to figure out a way to make sure Steph Curry does not end up on Luka Doncic whenever Luka Doncic feels like going at him. But I think the keys to the Western Conference Finals. Role players on the road is number one. And that's for both teams. And Golden State doesn't have this problem. They've, they've always played fantastic on the road. With the exception of maybe the Toronto series, the last time we saw Klay Thompson. But even then, they won the game on the road. Did they win two games on the road? I think they did. They won, they won two games on the road that series. So Golden State's always been a good road team. Dallas's role players, they've got to show up. Because again, they don't have they don't have home court advantage. Golden State's role players will show up on the road, will Dallas's. If not, the series is over in five. Number two, does Luka Doncic wear down over the course of this series? Because Golden State's going to keep throwing fresh bodies at him. He keeps playing this play style that is reliant upon banging guys and drawing contact and step-back threes, which, by the way, if your legs go, that shot is completely eliminated. So does Luka, so does Luka Doncic tire? And number three, what does Golden State do with their matchups? I'm curious. Because Golden State has an array of perimeter guys that they can put on the floor at all times 
to where they have an approximation of a big without having a big. And this is the big matchup nightmare for Dallas because Dallas always has at least Powell or Kleba on the court. But if Golden State goes with a lineup of Curry, Thompson, Poole, Green, Wiggins, there's a matchup. There's a matchup problem somewhere. If Kleba and or and or Powell are on the court at the same time. Number one, if I were if I was Jason Kidd, I would avoid having Kleba, Powell, and Bertans on the court at the same time, or any combination of that three. It could be Kleba and Bertans. It could be Kleba and Powell. Only one of those guys should be on the court at one time against Golden State. Unless Golden State comes out with Looney and Draymond. Other than that, they sh- those three should not be on the court at the same time. So I think those are my three things that I'm looking for in the Western Conference Finals. Role players on both teams. Luka's durability. And Golden State's matchups. Because Golden State is the deeper team. Golden State is the more talented team. Golden State is the most, ver- most versatile team. It'll be a good series. Um, my prediction, I'm going to go Warriors in six. But if the Mavericks role players don't show up on the road, or just complete no-shows on the road, this series is over in five. I believe. Because Golden State's going to get one in Dallas. I firmly believe Golden State will get one in Dallas. And if Dallas' role players don't show up in the first two games... That's a 3-1 to one deficit going back to Golden State for Game 5. So that's my prediction for the West. Let's talk about the East. The rematch from the bubble. Miami and Boston. I got this one right. I thought Miami and Boston would meet in the conference finals. And I am not backing off my pick of Miami winning this series. It's a very unpopular opinion, particularly with the way Boston is playing from top to bottom with Tatum and Brown. Grant Williams scored 27 points. I never thought I'd say that in my life. Um, Pritchard seemed to find a stroke. Robert Williams is coming back, so they're getting more girth um, to go along with their depth. Marcus Smart is doing his thing. Al Horford seems to have rewound the clock. But I think Miami's the better team in this series. I really, really do. Um, Let me talk about Boston for a second, because this is the team I followed very closely um, throughout the course of the entire season. The reason being because their season has mimicked the Mavericks. Um, Teams that we really didn't think highly of around the turn of the calendar when we turned over to 2022. Dallas had had COVID issues. Lucas issues with his body. Um, we're becoming paramount, which is another comparison between him and James Harden, by the way. Um, two guys that don't really take the best care of their bodies. Luke is only 23. He has time to write that situation, but I think it's, it's, it's concerning. Um, but Boston was under 500 at one point in time. Their defense was an atrocity. Jason Tatum was awful at the beginning of the year. Again, so was Luka Doncic. And then something happened with Boston. 
They finished the season the best defense in the league? Marcus Smart figured out a way to coexist with Tatum and Brown. Tatum and Brown figured out to coexist with Tatum and Brown. And now this is a machine that operates as beautifully as I have ever seen. Yeah, Tatum is the head of the snake, but Jalen Brown looks comfortable. It's it's the best iteration of a my turn, your turn kind of thing, which usually isn't good, but this is working. And Ime Udoka was, um, by the way, he was in my top five for coach of the year, along with guys like Taylor Jenkins, Monty Williams, Jason Kidd, obviously I told you was my was my coach of the year as well. Um, but I think those four were the best coaches this season, in my opinion. Because Boston wasn't known as a great defensive team before. They've had guys that could defend, but they've been made better. And what I noticed in the Eastern Conference Finals, and really throughout this, the entire playoffs, including the first round series against Brooklyn, was how Ime Yudoka staggers the lineup to where Tatum and Brown, one of them is always on the court, and each of them can be the focal point of a team because they each can drop 25 in their sleep. And a lot of games during the in this playoff run, they both have dropped 25 together. And... Boston's one of the few teams that can go into their bench and not suffer defensively. They might suffer offensively, Derek White. But Boston's always going to hang their hat on defense. And it works because to have a guy like, J- like Derek White, who has been in a, in a shooting regression, he hasn't shot the ball well. I think he was one for nine from three on Sunday. He made that one three-pointer. <laughs> It was a big one. It was a it was a big one. It was a well timed three point make. But they can have him on the court because they have two other guys that can create their own shot. And the Celtics to me have shown how simple basketball can be so effective. The Mavericks are a very stagnant team offensively because Luke has the ball in his hands. For such a long period of time. And I know I've belabored the point of Luca, of, of Luca's uh, usage rate. I'm not saying that is a bad thing. Because you want the ball in a guy whose playmaking, whose decision making, and whose scoring ability is so elite. But I think it makes you a little bit easier to defend. Golden State is a very complex offense. It's a great offense, but it's so complex. Um, Miami's is not aesthetically pleasing, but it gets the job done. Boston's is just simple. Screen and roll, or beat your man. They don't run a lot of complex drag drag screens, excuse me, drag screens, flare screens, back picks. They don't run a whole lot of it. They may run a down screen every once in a while just to free up Tatum, to free up Brown. But a lot of it is simple pick and roll. It is beat your man. Uh, my senior year, our coach called it E2 swing swing. Engage two defenders. 
make the pass out, make the one more, and that guy is usually open. And that's where a guy like Grant Williams, where a guy like Al Horford comes into play. Hit corner threes. Hit wing threes. Ball reversals to Marcus Smart, to Jalen Brown, across court to Jason Tatum. It's simple basketball. And it's very aesthetically pleasing. Um, and it's and it's sustainable. This is why all of us could see Boston getting this far. Because combined with that defense that I said was the best in the league when we ended the year. It's a very simple, sustainable brand of basketball. They don't put up an absurd volume of threes. Even though they put a lot of... They, they, put, up, they put up a decent amount of threes. A healthy amount of threes. But they don't shoot it at a rate where the, where you're like, oh, this is unsustainable. They consistently are shooting around 44% from three. 44 to 50% from three. Which is, which is a sustainable, healthy rate of converting shots from beyond the arc. And I think Tatum has made strides in terms of initiating an offense. From the last time we saw Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. As well as they're better defensively. I think their lineups are better. I thought Brad Stevens was a good coach. I think Ime Udoka has been better. Particularly with the way he's got this team playing defense. And having everything revolve off of getting stops. On defense. I think Tatum is more efficient. Brown is more comfortable. Smart is having more fun. Horford's career has been extended. And he's getting the best out of Derek White and Grant Williams. And Boston's a real team. Here's my concern with Boston. Is there depth? What are you going to do about that? Because the Time Lord... Robert Williams is just coming back off of a knee injury, and I cannot overstate the importance of having healthy knees if you're a big man, particularly a guy that jumps with the frequency that Robert Woods does. But you have three centers you can go to. Robert Woods, Daniel Tice, Al Horford. But really you're playing two guys off the bench, three Maybe four now that Robert Williams is back, but we don't know if we, we don't know if, if he'll continue to go with Derek, with uh, Daniel Tice. As a matter of fact, I doubt he will. Ime Udoka, that is. Um, Daniel Tice played six minutes in Game Seven, and that was with Robert Williams not playing at all. So you're really looking at a a team that goes seven deep, whereas with Miami, who by the way has been off since Thursday. Remember, the Eastern Conference Finals will tip off in about seven hours from when I record this. Maybe, or actually, I'm terrible at math. This is more like nine hours. Miami can comfortably go nine deep. So this was game six against Philadelphia. By the way, they won that 99-90. to 90. So a contested game. This was. These are all the players they played. P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin? 
I think that's who that is. Caleb Martin, or one, one of those Martin twins. Dwayne Dedman, Tyler Hero, Victor Oladipo, and then Duncan Robinson. Robinson played four minutes, Martin played five. So they go eight for sure. But in a closely contested game, I think they could throw 10 guys in that they're comfortable with. That's a lot. In an NBA where your playoff rotations shrink to about eight max, Miami's like, we can play 10. Oh, and by the way, Kyle Lowry didn't play that game either. I failed to mention that. I talked about the Mavericks um, in the last segment. How many guys does Dallas play off the bench? Spencer Dinwiddie, Bertans, Kleber. Eight guys? So eight guys total? I mean, that's a healthy amount. I just don't know how many of them will show up outside of the American Airlines Center. Here's why I think Miami's going to win this series. Number one, their depth. And 1B would be style of play. Miami will always be this team that hangs its hat on being enforcers. And it starts with their best player. Really, their two best players. It starts with Jimmy Butler and it starts with Bam Adebayo. Yeah, they can score on offense. Yeah, Jimmy Butler can drop 28. Yeah, Bam can get you 17 to 23 a night comfortably. But those dudes are dogs on the other side of the court. And that mentality has bled down to everybody. I mean, except, except Duncan Robinson, but he tries. Um, and then you bring over Kyle Lowry this year, former NBA champion with Toronto. You brought him over. Tyler Hero is having a resurgent third season. Unanimous sixth man of the year. If you did, if I, I would believe it's unanimous. I can't imagine somebody who voted for somebody outside of Tyler Hero for, for sixth man of the year. P.J. Tucker, they bring him over from Milwaukee, defending national champion. Struess and Gabe Vincent are guys that carved out a niche for themselves because they are undrafted. So you know they can move their feet on the defensive side of the ball. You know, one of the easiest ways to make a career playing basketball beyond high school is to just be a tenacious defender. The amount of guys you see in college that are there that do nothing else but defend. Because there's a shortage of those guys. There really are. Past the AAU system, um, there's a lot of guys that just can't defend. Or don't aren't interested in it. And even it bleeds over into the NBA. We criticize Luka Doncic's defense. Devin Booker is not a good defender. Jason Tatum up until this season was not a good defender. Jason Tatum is a good defender now. Because Ime Udoka demanded it out of him. Wiggins was a liability on defense. Until Steve Kerr said, oh, uh-uh, we're not doing this. You're going to move your feet and get in the stands. So I think the way to maximize your basketball talent is to move your feet on the other side of the court. 
I remember I was at an AU practice my after my junior year. I think it was after my junior year of high school. It might have been after my sophomore year. I took a bad shot in practice. And by the way, I took the it was a it was a heat check because I was shooting well that practice. And um I was kind of frustrated because I knew it was a bad shot, but I also know what a heat check is. Um And I was frustrated and my coach told me as we were playing, he didn't stop the scrimmage, but he said, I don't mind that shot as long as as long as those shoes are squeaking down there. And that was the role I had as as an AAU player. Uh, I was a, I was a three and D guy. A lot of people remember I was a point guard. My school team initiated the offense, ran the offense a lot. Uh, the offense ran a lot through me. That wasn't the case when I played AAU. I hit I hit a lot of corner and wing threes, and I was a defender. I could defend, and that's how I made my bones playing high level AAU. I was not I was not one of the more skilled guys, but I could defend and I didn't back down from anybody. Um but those are the, that's the guys the Miami Heat have. The Gabe Vincents, the Max Struces, the Caleb Martins of the world. And that was that's what makes them so deadly because they bring those guys off the bench and in the starting lineup. And when you have those that clash of styles, because Boston has those guys too. Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, Derek White. Guys are not afraid to get physical with you. Depth is going to win out in this series. That's why I think Miami is going to win that series. Number one. That's that's why I think Miami is going to win the series. Number two. Which team is more likely to take out the other team's stars? And let's go back to the Phoenix series. The Phoenix and Dallas series. There's something, there's a strategy that is implored in sports called take, you can do one of two things. You can go strength versus strength, which is mostly used in baseball when you're talking about a pitcher who is great with a breaking ball against a hitter who is great hitting the breaking ball. You can go strength versus strength, or you can implore strategy and take out the head of the snake. That's what Dallas did to Chris Paul. You take Chris Paul out, that whole operation tanks. And that's what happened. It was a tire fire offensively for Phoenix once Chris Paul went after game two. Game two, he had the perfect game, 14 of 14. In the in the next five games, he had 18 field goals and 18 turnovers. And Phoenix lost three of the next four. Or four of the next four four of the next five after game two. It was an absolute embarrassment. And that's what Milwaukee did. In the finals last year. That's what turned the NBA finals around. Was putting Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. It completely took Chris Paul out of the series. And in essence took Phoenix out of the series. Milwaukee rattled off five straight. Their NBA, I mean four straight. Their NBA champions. 
So which team is more likely to take out the head of the snake? And I think it's Miami as well. Miami is more equipped to take out Jason Tatum than the Boston Celtics are to take out who is the head of the of Miami Snake. I mean, probably Jimmy Butler. But Kyle Lowry on a given night can drop can drop 25. Tyler Hero can go bonkers. Bam can just physically impose his will on anybody. There's more alpha in type of in, in terms of scores, in terms of heads of offense on Miami. So it's going to take a very sophisticated defensive strategy for Ime Udoka to neutralize all of them than it is for Miami to keep switching pesky physical guys onto Jason Tatum. And again, you'll probably start with Jimmy Butler. Maybe Bam out of bio on a switch. You feel comfortable with that. Throw in a Caleb Martin. Throw in a PJ Tucker. Who just has a knack for making stars uncomfortable. There's our word again. Making these guys uncomfortable. But Miami has so many switchable guys that don't give up much from a strength perspective. They may give up a little bit on size if you get a switch like Kyle Lowry, but there's not that one big on the floor that you can, like, switch on, that you can get that switch with, that you know you're going to embarrass him. That's not Miami. Because even Dwayne Dedman can hold his own if he is in the unfortunate predicament of being switched onto a Tatum or a Brown. He can hold his own. This isn't like Luka Doncic embarrassing DeAndre Ayton, which, by the way, as putrid as he was, good luck getting your max extension, DeAndre Ayton. He was awful in the Western Conference semifinals. So versatility, the clash of styles favors Miami. And I think when a push comes to shove, I think Miami is a more consistent team. Boston does have a problem with their role players on the road. It's not as bad as Dallas's. Let me reemphasize this. It is not as bad as Dallas's. Dallas's is alarming. It is alarming. The road and home splits for Dallas's role players. Finney Smith, Bullock, um, Dinwiddie has just been an absolute um, disaster. As opposed, I mean, uh, up until Game Seven. But Boston's role players have a problem showing up on the road. And again, they do not have home court advantage. If Miami gets both games to begin the series at home, this series is over. I think this series will likely be more contested than the West. So I said Golden State in six, but I wouldn't be surprised in five because of Dallas's role players' inability to show up on the road. I think Miami wins this series. Let's put it. If the series was set at six and a half, I would bet the over. So let's say Miami in seven. Let's say Miami in seven. So Golden State in six. Wouldn't be surprised if it's five. Miami, let's go seven. Golden State and Miami, that was my original NBA Finals pick when the playoffs started. I'm not backing off of that. And... We will reassess next week when I record this podcast. 
So thanks for listening to The Gray Area. My name is Grayson Singleton. Those are my picks. Enjoy the games, everybody. God bless and keep cool.